Okay, let me start again. Good morning. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. For those watching online, we wish you were here, but we're glad you're at home uh, checking in. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. Uh, we're kind of a weird church of, um, yeah, messed up people, but God's changing us. Um, we're just early in that process, I think, because um, he's got all of eternity to work it out. Uh, we've been in this series, uh, it was a Christmas series, but I decided to extend it a few more weeks. So we've been looking at this passage from the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah said, look, there's going to be someone come, a Messiah, a promised one. And you're going to be able to tell who this Messiah is by certain things. And the prophets and the psalmists, they gave us over 350 prophecies or clues of who this man would be and what he would do. And Jesus fulfilled 300 of those while he was here between his birth and his resurrection. No doubt he's the Messiah. But at one point, Isaiah said something that was very interesting. He said, you'll recognize this man because of four things. No other human on earth will have these four things. That's how you'll know who's the Messiah. Isaiah 9.2, the people have walked in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And we spent the last three weeks looking at three of these. We started out with Wonderful Counselor, someone who is, gives so much counsel that people just stand back and wonder at the knowledge because they know it's not coming from this earth. Christmas Eve, we talked about the Prince of Peace who, who ushers in conflict among people, but peace with God and peace from God. And today we're going to look at mighty God. Now remember, the context is that Isaiah is giving these people a promise during a time of severe fasting, uh, during a time of plagues and, and armies on the border, and they're clearly about to be punished by God. But God wants them to know that there's hope coming, that even though the next Years are going to be very difficult. Even though he has to bring his righteous judgment on the southern kingdom of Judah, there's a day in the future when everything will be set right. They were in a famine not for food, but for hope. And a famine from God, desperately needing God. God through Isaiah tells us, look, a light's going to come that overcomes your darkness. Joy's going to replace despair, and enemies' power is going to be broken. Mighty God. Pretty easy in English, right? There's one word for God. Big G when you're talking about God, little G when you're talking about other gods. But in Hebrew, there are many, many words for God. One is Jehovah. When Moses asked who should say sent him to the Egyptians, God said, tell him Jehovah sent you. Without getting too deep into the Hebrew, Jehovah means the one who exists and continues to exist. Same term caused consternation when Jesus said, before Abraham existed, I am. I am Jehovah. I'm the one that always exists and will always continue to exist. A more common word for God in Hebrew is El. El in Hebrew means power, and not just power, but it's usually combined with another word that describes the type of power that this God, that God possesses. El was the most commonly used word, and in Hebrew, 
It refers to God Almighty, the one true Hebrew God. When El is used to describe the Hebrew God, it's usually combined with other, other terms like Elohim, means the power who creates. The, the name of God used in an Adam, Elohim said, let us make man in our image. El Shaddai means power almighty. El mighty El meaning potency, and Shaddai means power that breaks through, that overcomes, that's always victorious, that bursts forth. One of the great things about Hebrew and Greek is that the words carry not only a meaning, but an image. This is not simply power. This is victorious power, power that overcomes anything. El Elyon, it means the most high God. When Isaiah says he shall be called mighty God, the term he uses is El Jabor. El Jabor. A child shall be born and he shall be called El Jabor. Not that he calls himself that. People will recognize him as that. He is the cause of all things, the sustainer of all things, and he shall be called Gabor, meaning mighty, powerful, victorious. The power that breaks through and causes victory that overcomes everything. People are going to say this man has a power that's not of this world that can't be defined or controlled by this world. That's one of the ways you're going to know he's unique. Gabor carries with it the idea of a conquering, powerful, mighty warrior. Concept of warrior and champion. When David returned from killing the Philistine, the women came out of towns and sang songs. Saul has killed thousands, David his ten thousand. That image of mighty warrior returning victorious is the image that El Gibor or El Jibor brings. Mighty God. What Isaiah is saying is there's going to be a day when this man is the most powerful commander in chief of the entire world and of all mankind. So God, through Isaiah, said, one of the ways you'll know this special Messiah, people are going to call him God. Not that he calls himself God, although he does. People will recognize that he's God and affirm it. He's not a God, he's El, the Jewish God, the high God. Many emperors have claimed to be God. So why was this Jesus child so special? Think about the most impressive person you've ever met. Go ahead, think about it. Pick somebody in your mind where you go, wow. Just think about the most impressive person you've ever met and you've personally known. What would that person have to do to get you to call him God? You thought about that? I mean, the most impressive human you can think, what would they have to do for you to say, wow, they're God? What if they controlled the most violent weather with a spoken word? What if they healed the blind, the lame, and the terminally ill with just a touch or a word? What if they spoke and tombs opened and dead men came back to life? What if they interrupted a funeral procession and turned it into a celebration with the dead man leading the dancing? What if they knew things that only God could know? If their knowledge was limitless? What if they could read your mind and answer your questions before you've even come up with them? What if they could speak and multiply food to feed thousands? What if they stepped on shore and demons started begging for their life? 
What if they knew everything about you, your past, your present, and your future? What if they were tortured, beaten, killed, and all the time they were forgiving those who tormented them? What if they walked out of their own tomb and had breakfast with you? James, the brother of Jesus, knew all of these things and still didn't believe until after Jesus had resurrected. Perhaps it was best summed up by the Roman guard at the cross, Matthew 27, 53, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquakes and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Notice that he said, Son of God. Not Messiah, but the second person of the Trinity. So Isaiah tells us, we're going to know this child because he's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to wow us with counsel, and we're just going to stand back and wonder. He's going to tell a parable, maybe three or four sentences, and for centuries people are going to dig into that and find out the deeper they go, the deeper it gets. They're going to understand that the wisdom that he brings, the insight that he brings, is not of human nature. It's not natural. It's supernatural, and it can only come from the throne of God. This child will cause division among men. He'll break up families. He'll cause all kinds of conflict, but he will bring peace with God and give you the peace of God. Now he tells us that this child will not only be called God, not just any God, but El Gibor, God the Almighty, the mighty, conquering, powerful God. The power of this man will change the world. People will be in awe of his power, not his physical power, but his spiritual power. The the God kind of power that only comes from the throne of God. What is it like to be in the midst of God's power? That tiny baby lying helpless in Mary's bosom held the universe together. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He is mighty God. Jesus clearly claimed and proved himself to be God. El Gabor is used in other parts of the Bible to remind us of God's power. In Isaiah 10, 21, the prophet uses this exact phrase to refer to Yahweh. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God, El Gabor. When Isaiah said this man will be called El Gabor, he was clearly telling us this child would be God himself coming to rescue us. And having the power over not just things of the earth, but things like death and sin. This mighty God would save us on the cross, and then in the future, he returns as a conquering warrior to save his remnant. The remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. It was Jesus' claim to this specific messianic prophecy that led to his crucifixion. He was brought before the Sanhedrin. He was charged with blasphemy. And it was upon that charge that they condemned him to die. Because he himself said he was the son of God. He claimed to be mighty God. But many of us don't see Jesus as a mighty warrior. We're very comfortable seeing him as a wonderful counselor. But mighty God, mighty warrior God. That's not the comfortable Jesus many have imagined. In fact, we don't really like to think of Jesus returning as a warrior. 
We don't like the idea that Jesus is going to come back and destroy someone. Sure, we want evil to be gone. We want to live with Jesus as our Savior and Lord, but we don't really want to think about the battle that's coming. The entire world is pulling itself against Jesus. Jesus will come as a conquering warrior and rid the planet of sin, finally, once and for all. C.S. Lewis said this, if we've never had the experience of taking our casual religious shoes off, our casual religious feet, getting rid of all the excessive informality with which we approach God, it's questionable whether we've ever stood in His presence at all. Once you've been in the presence of holy God, it's impossible to take that encounter lightly again. He is holy and we're not. Once you've encountered God's glory, you get rid of any informality. He is mighty God. You bend literally in worship. When you're a child, you're taught that Jesus is your friend. And he is. But as you mature both in life and in Christ, you have to begin to understand that he is mighty God. That he's on a mission. Some people never mature past a childhood buddy. They see Jesus only as the childhood buddy, and they don't really embrace the fact that he's coming back. And he deserves to be revered as mighty God. Truthfully, many in the church today have traded the real Jesus for a God that they call El Wimpo. We've made Jesus in the Bible seem like a teddy bear, cute, fuzzy, but powerless. Dare I say it, we've made Jesus some inferior, beaten down, politically correct, all-affirming God of love. Yet God said this child's going to be called El Gabor, the mighty conquering warrior, mighty God. I love the way that name sounds, El Gabor. And when you're in Israel, they know how to spit when they say things. El Gabor. What does that mean? Mighty God means hero, a strong, valiant hero. We would know him as such. He, he would be a proven warrior, unafraid of battle and never defeated. He'd be the one of highest ranking power, never afraid of a fight. God is telling us through Isaiah that we'll recognize him when he arrives because he'll come with power. And the power he has is spiritual power. And it's not a power that we've seen on this earth. It'll be so different. This man will be so different that you'll look and you'll go, powerful God. And you won't be able to deny it because the power will be so strong in this man that you know he's God. He will break through obstacles. He's always victorious. Nothing phases him. He would have power greater than anyone who ever lived. He would have a miraculous working supernatural power, a Satan defeating power, a circumstance changing power, and an overcoming power. He'll be a victorious, mighty warrior. So why did people call this child El Gibor? I'm going to highlight four reasons this morning. There are hundreds, though. They, we... We call him mighty God, and we call him mighty God, I think, for four reasons. One, he has no limitations. Second, he has destroyed and owns Satan. Third, he overcomes death. Fourth, he isn't done yet. So let's explore each of those a little bit. Mighty God has no limits. Think about that for a minute. Nothing 
can limit him. There's nothing that defeats him, nothing that causes him concern, nothing that brings worry or anxiety. There's no physical, spiritual, or mental boundary that he can't glide through. Storms, diseases, demons, laws of physics, nature, man, nothing can place a limit on him. He's not limited by time or space and certainly not limited by human opinion. Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had crossed again to the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, my little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so she may be well and live. And he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Think about what this man is recognizing. My daughter's dying. You're the only person on the planet that can do something. You have the power over death. You see, you're El Gibor. You're a mighty God. Don't just read this passage. A man's daughter is dying. Spend some time connecting with the emotion of the passages that you read. He is absolutely desperate. It's his 12-year-old girl. I've had a 12-year-old girl. There's a point where they begin to become a young lady. There's a point where they begin to look like their mom. There's a point where they try to be all grown up. It's an incredible time in their life. And at 12, to lose your daughter, oh my. Connect with the emotion of the passage or you'll miss the point. Jesus is on his way and then he stops and he gets delayed and he says something just this man must have thought was ridiculous. Think about the father. His daughter's dying. Man's with miraculous power. Great. He's coming to my house. Let's go save her. And then he says, wait a minute, somebody touch me. This isn't like the backseat thing. He touched me. No, somebody touched me. And you go, this man's going, who cares? Let's go. Somebody touched me. Thousand people pressing in. Jesus says, somebody touched me because they recognized I was mighty God too. Not just you, somebody else. He stops to heal a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Can you imagine how frustrated this man must have been? Jesus was limited by time and during that delay, the father hears what no father should ever have to hear. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Daughter's dead. Just like Mary and Lazarus. Jesus, you were delayed. You could have done it. You could have got there. You, you're delayed. Your daughter's dead. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he'd entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Translated, I'm not limited by death. I'm not limited by time. I'm limitless and I'm full of power. Why are you making a commotion? This child's not dead, just sleeping. And they laughed at him. 
But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went where the child was. They laughed at him. We shake our heads. We would have been too. Just go to a funeral, let somebody walk in and go, ah, they're just sleeping. He put them all outside. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. I don't know what that means, by the way. Like 12-year-old girls can't sit still. I don't know, but she, she got up and started walking around. What he's really trying to tell you is this isn't some spirit. This isn't some uh, imagination. This isn't some psychotic dream. This girl came back to life, got up and walked, and then did the very next thing that very real live people do. He said, give her something to eat. And he strictly charged them, and no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Mighty God raises people from the dead. Mighty God fights and conquers the ultimate darkness. We've seen a great light shine into our darkness, Isaiah tells us. Death is no obstacle to El Gibor, the powerful, mighty God. You see, our life is full of limitations and roadblocks. Everywhere we look, someone has erected a boundary that we dare not try to cross over. I admit, like Jairus, I live with limitations. I'm limited, I know, by my strength, by my education, by my finances, by my insights, and by my resources. But mighty God knows nothing of limitations. He crosses every barrier, he breaks through every wall, and nothing hinders him from accomplishing his will and his desire both on earth and in your life. Doesn't matter if people laugh. Let them laugh. Doesn't matter if they say she's dead. Doesn't matter that this has never been done before. Doesn't matter that a father's faith is beginning to waver. Doesn't matter that they say it can't happen. We're talking about mighty God. It can happen. He's mighty God. He transcends time. He transcends space, hearts, money, obstacles, the economy, doctors, paychecks, COVID-19, the government, the courts, you name it, he overcomes it. El Gabor has no limits, and he's not bound by our rules. We try to take mighty God and put him in a box of what we think he can and can't do. Acts 3.13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from to dead, to this we are witnesses. What I love about mighty God is that he defies everything that's supposed to happen. They conspired against Jesus. They made up all kinds of stuff to get him out of the way, and then they killed him. They thought they were finished with him. They thought they had squashed him like roadkill on I-75. They thought he was never coming back. In the end, it was the end of one more troublemaker. But God stepped in, blew through their schemes, turned everything upside down, superseded their plan with his own plan. It's called resurrection power, and it's what mighty God offers and brings. 
He is all about taking the most difficult thing, the thing that we say is unchangeable, unavoidable, and doing something amazing with it. You see, mighty God reverses the irreversible. He fixes the unfixable. He beats the unbeatable. He saves the unsavable. He changes the unchangeable. Find someone who does all those things, and Isaiah says, you will have found the Messiah. El Gabor, Jesus at the cross, was mighty God. He overcame high-powered people who just wanted to get their way. He overcame religion who just didn't want the status quo to be disturbed. He overcame good old boys who thought they held all the aces. The disappointment and dashed dreams of disciples, Satan thought he had won. Doubt, this didn't stop. Bottom line, Jesus is not subject to rules to men, to courts, to crosses, to nails, or to natural law. Nothing limits him. Nothing could hold Jesus, not even death, and a rock rolled on top of his grave. Our mighty God defies all who think they're gods. He has no limits. He's not bound by our rules, and he's already defeated our enemy. Second thing, mighty God has already defeated our enemy. And he's already in a position of victory. The enemies that we fear have no power on him. They are powerless. He owns Satan. Luke eleven twenty. 20. But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. This clearly says that Satan is big, bad, and tough until someone shows up with more muscle, more power, more spiritual influence, overcomes them, and takes care of their own business. Satan kept throwing shot after shot at Jesus. He never could win. He threw disease at Jesus. By my stripes you are healed. He threw temptation, not my will, but the Father's. He threw fame You'll worship God alone. He threw demon-possessed. He said, get out. He threw the depressed and hopeless and addicted, and Jesus looked at them and said, you are now whole. He threw hatred, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He threw messed up religion, and Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He threw political muscle, and the government, Jesus said, will be on my shoulder. He threw false accusations against his character, And he said, you'll see on the third day. He threw storms, and Jesus said, peace be still. He even threw death, and Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. He also owned Pontius Pilate. John 19, 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law that according to the law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it's been given to you from above. Therefore, whoever, he who delivers me over to you has the greatest sin. You don't own me, Jesus says. You have no power over me. I'm God. Jesus would say, look, there's a boundary on what you can do. There's no boundary on me. There's a limit to what you can do. There's no limit on me. And nothing you do to me hasn't already been known by my Father. 
and he's already planned it for his advantage. No, Pilate, you don't have the power you think you do. Because standing before you is El Gibor. Satan, you don't own this situation. Anything allowed by God on this planet has already been determined to backfire on Satan. It's a wonderful thing. Third reason he's mighty God is he overcomes death. Remember, death was never a part of his design. Death came through us, not him. Jesus hated death. Many times in Scripture, when he faced death, he overcame it. Just ask Jairus about his daughter, or Mary and Martha about their brother, or the widow at Nain about her son, or ask Pilate what happened over at the tomb outside of town. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even what seems like the last great weapon of Satan, death, is no problem for mighty God. Jesus turns death into a doorway. Let me repeat that. Jesus turns death into a doorway. Ephesians 1.18, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Fourth reason. This one's my favorite. He's coming back. He's not done yet. The sin that we see, the things that are going on in our world, abortion, sexual confusion, all those things, he's coming to set right. And there will be a day where Isaiah says there's going to be a new kingdom on his shoulders. One day El Gabor will break through the clouds and finally destroy everything that's evil. John shows us an image of mighty God returning Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he's called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword to which he strikes down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God Almighty, the one who commands all things, all people for all time, he will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God. Is that how you see Jesus? Like the juice that pours out from grapes when they're pressed under the rock, the weight of the press. Blood will pour out of people when pressed under the weight of God's righteous fury and wrath poured out through mighty God. He is El Gabor. He came the first time to show us God's love and mercy and forgiveness. 
He will return the next time to show us God's wrath and judgment as he eradicates sin forever, which he, by the way, hates, does not excuse. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will do this. What's happening in our future is not something that we do. The zeal of the Lord will do it. What's his zeal? His desire, his zeal, his quest for righteousness and justice and truth. He has a zeal to come here and set things right, to free us from the burden of sin, to free us from the, 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 the hold that sin has on us, to judge those who refuse to accept what he did on the cross. Every person on this planet is guilty of sin and every sin will be punished. It's either going to be punished by Jesus who's already taken your place or you're going to stand in the full fury of the wrath of God yourself. And it has nothing to do with anybody else but you and God. If you're separate from God, it's not because he moved. If you feel like you are distanced from God, it's not because of something he did. We have stiff-armed God. And the scriptures tell us the time is coming when mighty God returns. A counselor full of wonder. A prince ushering in peace with God and offering peace of God. A man with no limits. An enemy already defeated. No sting of death and no mission left unfinished. Isaiah told those living in darkness, if you want to see light, look for the man who does these things. No human who ever lived has changed the world the way Jesus did. People stand amazed at his wisdom and his peace and his power. And like the century at the cross, we too conclude, surely this man is the son of God. There are many names for God in Hebrew. Elohim, the God who creates. El Shaddai, almighty God, the highest God. And Isaiah told those looking for the Messiah, you know this child because he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, and El Gabor, Mighty God. Let's pray. El Gabor, thank you. Thank you for fighting the fight we can't fight. Thank you for overcoming the death that we deserve. Thank you for overcoming the obstacles in our life. Thank you for the way that you paid the price for our sins. Thank you for the way you gave us your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and peace, to teach us all things. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. Thank you for all the names of God. El Shaddai, Elohim. Thank you, God, for these incredible words of yours through the prophet Isaiah speaking to us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.